the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Was it before or after the law? Well, Moses hasn't even come yet. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be the heir of the world, and it did not come through the law, look at this, but through the righteousness of faith, the righteousness that God credited to his account. He believed God, he trusted God, and God considered it, God treated it as righteousness. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. As we continue today on our journey through the Book of Romans, we'll be hearing a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Your Questions Answered. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Some people say, well, it's too late for me, isn't it? I look how old I am, and you know, it's not about what you do. It's what about Christ has done for you. And somebody will say, well, doesn't it take faith plus works? Don't I have to trust God and then perform these things over and over again throughout the rest of my life, and if I miss one, something bad might happen to me. No, that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's what these people died for, because they believed differently. And so we return to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to unpack it for you, but I'm not going to go through every verse and every inch, but sort of the heart of what's going to be taught here is in Romans 4, 18 to 22, and let me read that for you so that you can begin to let that settle into your heart as we, as we look at these three statements that Paul makes about salvation. And what he's talking about here is Abraham, who is the father of us all, spiritually speaking, and the father of the Jewish nation. And to set this up, Abraham was about 100 years old at the time, and Abraham had a wife that was 90 years old. They'd never had any children, and they were trying to figure out how are we going to father a nation. And what we see here is about salvation through faith. In hope, he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. As he had been told, or so he had been told, so shall your offspring be. God had taken him out and said, look at the stars in the sky 
And number them if you can. So shall your offspring be. At 100? How's that going to happen? But it says in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Oh, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, fully convinced that he was able to do, that God was able to do what God promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham was saved by faith, just like we are. And our faith, God treats as if we were righteous. When we trust him, when we trust in God, when we trust in Christ and all that has been accomplished for us, God looks at us and sweeps away our unrighteousness and we become children of God. And so this is what is going on here in Romans chapter 4. It talks about this. It explains this in a way that is comforting, I hope calming, consoling, and even challenging. So what we want to do today is look to Romans chapter 4 for three statements about salvation that we can understand and grasp and maybe share with other people. Three statements that should calm us, encourage us, console us, and challenge us. And our first statement is this one. Justification, salvation, that's what justification is. You are declared just by God, righteous by God, is by faith and not by works. We say, of course, we say that, but do we believe that? And would we be willing to die for that? We have nothing to bring to the table. None of us are righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't anymore do anything for God than a leopard can change his spots or an Ethiopian his skin color, or those who are accustomed to sinning can choose righteousness. And Paul talks about this in Romans 4, 1 through 4. And again, he starts out with that whole Q&A thing because he's wanting to help people understand and to reason alongside him. And he says this, What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? He's talking to the Jewish people. For if Abraham was justified, was saved by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? This is what I love about Paul. He always appeals to the Bible. Today, you hear Christians say, yeah, I know it says this, but you got to be practical. The culture says, I believe, I feel. That's not what Paul, he says, what does God say? And he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You know, it's not faith plus works. It's you are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And that's how Abraham was saved. He was told he was going to be the father of the nations, that through his seed, the word there, seed, is singular and not plural, the nations of the world would be blessed. And he put his faith in God and the coming Christ. And it was counted to him. It was treated by God to him, credited to him as if he were righteous and sinless before God. That's justification by faith. And realize this, if we have anything to do with our salvation, then we've earned it. We have obligated God by something we've done, by some rite or ritual or penance or whatever it is. Maybe we gave a lot of money, maybe we gave a lot of time and therefore God is obligated, but it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's not either or, and it's not even both and. It's by grace, not by works. We can do nothing to earn God's forgiveness. 
Jesus taught that. The Jewish people, when he fed the 5,000 and he's having this discussion with them and they wanted to make him king, but he wouldn't accept it because he knew what was in man. He knew how bad mankind, humanity was. There's this give and take and they say to him, because they want to believe as most people do today, we all want to believe we're special. We all want to believe we have something to offer, but we have nothing to offer God. And they say to him, in, in, in answer to everything he's just said, then they said to him, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? Watch his play on words here. Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. The Jewish people said, what can we do to make ourselves righteous? He said, you can't. Only God can make you righteous. And that's that you believe in me. Put your faith on the one whom God has sent. That is the message from Old Testament to New Testament, from the very first book of the Bible to the very last. We see this in Genesis 15, 2 through 6. Again, let me just set this up. God has promised Abram. He's not yet had his name changed to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you an heir. Through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. And Abraham believes God, and he's struggling with it and everything else. And look what happens here. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And then it says in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son, your one and only son, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Can you imagine that? A hundred years old? Somebody tells you that? Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. I'm amazed at this. Think about it. Abraham is called into ministry when he's 75. When he's 100, he's given the promise. His wife is 90. She's been infertile their whole lives. And he believed God. Hope against hope. Think about that. Abraham laments. Abram laments that he has no heir in verse 2. God promised an heir in verse 4. In verse 5, God gives him the object lesson with the stars. And that's good enough for Abraham. He puts his trust in God and Christ. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Where is Jesus mentioned there? He's the seed through whom the nations will be blessed. And Jesus himself says that in John chapter 8, verses 53 to 58. Let me set this up for you. Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. They're not having any of it. He's performed all kinds of miracles. He's done all kinds of things. He's talked about tearing the temple. If the temple is torn down, the temple of his body, he'll raise it in three days. They're fit to be tied. And we see this. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. And look what he says here in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, past tense, and was glad. Abraham was saved by faith through the promised Messiah, faith in Christ, just like we are. Paul goes on to elaborate in verses 23 to 25. He says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but ours also. 
it will be counted to us, that's you and I, who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Works do not save. Penance does not save. Sacraments do not save. There is no work of righteousness that you and I can do to purchase, to deserve, to earn our salvation. How many times have we quoted sort of our church verse here, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, not of works. It is the gift of grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that, we, that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. The good news is there's no obstacle for you to overcome. You can't be good enough. Nobody can. Nobody ever has been. There's only been one righteous person on planet Earth, and that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, and he has paved the way through all of us if we trust in him. That is very good news indeed, which brings us to our second statement, which is very similar to the first, but also remember he's talking to Jewish Christians in Rome and he's talking to Gentile Christians in Rome, and he knows as he talks about this that the Jewish believer will have some questions, and he talks about the fact, statement number two, that justification, salvation, is by grace, not through law-keeping. Look what he says. Your relationship with God is not based upon rules or performance when it comes to your salvation. Where does he say this? He says this in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. He says this, and again, it's this whole Q&A thing. He, he understands how people think. He understands how we think because the Spirit of God moved him to write these things in anticipation of our time together. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or the uncircumcised? Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Was it before or after the ritual of circumcision? Was it before or after the law? Well, Moses hasn't even come yet. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be the heir of the world, and it did not come through the law, look at this, but through the righteousness of faith, the righteousness that God credited to his account. He believed God, he trusted God, and God considered it, God treated it, is righteousness. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me in Romans chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. As it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham is saved by grace through faith. It's not about law-keeping. As it says in verse 16, it's an act of God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved favor. Abraham didn't deserve it. He didn't merit it. He didn't earn it. God bestowed it, not because of some righteous deed that he did like circumcision, but because he trusted God. This is the kind and graceful initiative from God that is the pattern of the whole Bible. I mean, if you think back, you heard last week we talked about Ezekiel, right? We talked about the passage. I suggested you write a couple of passages down here. Well, here's one, Ezekiel 34, 20, 36, 24 to 26. This is a picture of God's grace toward Israel, and it really typifies 
God's grace towards us. Israel has walked away from God. They have chased after many gods, many idols. God disciplining those he loved as a father does the children that he loves sent them into exile. He disciplined them. He punished them. But look what he says. See the grace of God. Look at the action words, the verbs. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all the idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you that spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, where did Israel in there earn anything? Where do they do anything? No, justification is a gift of God's grace, not our law keeping. Again, it goes back to two religions in the world and only two. The religion of human achievement where we do something to earn God's favor, we do something to manipulate God into doing what we want, where we bribe him, where we sacrifice to him, where we burn fruit or money to our ancestors, where we believe in faith plus works. That's human achievement. But the religion of divine achievement is salvation by faith because of God's grace. Which brings us to our third third statement here in the passage. Justification is by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, not human achievement. Again, we bring nothing to the table. Neither one of us, not you or I, have the power, the ability, or the inclination to save ourselves. We talked about this last week in Romans chapter 3. None righteous, no, not one. None who seeks after God. Genesis 6 and 8, every inclination of our heart, even from our youth, is towards evil. Jeremiah 13, 23, can a leopard change its spots or an Ethiopian his skin color? Then you who are accustomed to sinning can choose righteousness. It's not us. We achieve nothing. Christ has achieved it all. His power is great, transforming, and redemptive. Justification is by the resurrection power of Christ. Where do we see that? We see that in Romans 4, 18 to 25. In hope he believed against hope, that's Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, but he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. Fully convinced that God was able to do as he promised, it was counted to us who believe him who raised... It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. How many times have we talked about this? Abide in Christ, believe his word, and let him do the heavy lifting. Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid for our sins on the cross, but more than that, he rose from the dead and conquered sin, death, and hell on our behalf. Many religious leaders have died. There's loads of them in the ground in mausoleums, ashes scattered wherever, but only one raised from the dead. Only one said he would be raised from the dead, and only one did. He was raised for our justification. God rescues, redeems, restores, and resurrects. What did Jesus say in John 11 to Lazarus' sister? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes on me, even though he die, yet will he live. He will not perish. Do you believe this? The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And, you know, today, regretfully, in many groups, there are many people who say they believe, but they don't believe in the resurrection. I remember reading several years ago, a pastor in a 
mainline denomination saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a religious truth but not a historical fact. And I'm like, that takes a lot of religious and rhetorical and ethical gymnastics to say something as silly as that. What does Paul say about the power of the resurrection, the essential nature of the resurrection and our salvation? In 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19, he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What did Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In Romans 6, 4, Paul writes this, We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, that we might too walk in the newness of life. There's nothing for us to do. It's been done. All we have to do is receive the gift that God so generously and graciously offers. Our salvation is assured, and that is very good news indeed. So let's review. Justification is by faith, not by works. Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. Justification is by grace and not by law keeping. We have nothing to add. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah says. Number three, justification is by the resurrection power of God, not human achievement. We have no power to save. Only God does. And here's the very good news indeed. That is good news because not not me, not you, not anyone here is good enough to go to heaven on her or his own strength. We need this grace. We need this power. We need this righteousness credited to our account. This is good news of great joy for all people because you can't save yourself, but Jesus can and will if you receive the gift that he offers. You can't save anyone else either. You and I both know this. We talked about this last week. As we present the gospel, we can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You have the inward call of the Holy Spirit and the outward call of the evangelist, vinegar and baking soda, and when the two come together, you get suds, right? This is why we find comfort in this. As we move into Easter, we have hope, not in what we can do, but what God would do through us. All we have to do is just deliver the message. That's all we have to do. There's nothing for you to do but trust Christ, but surrender your past, your present, your future, your will to him, and you will receive eternal life. So what do you do with this, applicationally speaking? As you hear this message, and maybe some of it surprised you or troubles you, maybe, I don't know. But here's the thing. Let me give you uh, the following suggestions for application. Number one, make sure that you have put your trust in the right gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Not of works. It's not faith plus works. You're kept by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by anything that you would do after you were saved. Accept no substitutes. Number two, in rightly understanding the gospel, you can now rightly explain it, perhaps with greater clarity. Think about what you've heard. Practice who and how you might share this with other people. Other people have all kinds of difficult ideas. Some people think they have no hope because they can't be good enough. None of us can. That's the good news. But Christ was, and that is the gospel. And number three, have hope. Maybe you're here today and you know about God, but you don't know God. And you're thinking, how can I close the distance between, between me and God? You can't, but Jesus has. And all you have to do is trust him. And that is very good news indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, help us, Lord, to think about the simplicity and the profundity of the gospel. 
And help us to realize, Lord, that all of us were in the same boat. All of us needed the same cure, and you provided it. And Father, now as we celebrate the Lord's table, help us to do so with an attitude of gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you And thanks for listening.